Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. The second straight Hoop Ball Lakers podcast with a very special guest for your listening pleasure, none other than Mr. Harrison Fagan, Lakers beat writer, editor-in-chief, Lakers SBN, better known as Silver Screen and Roll, and also the host of Rewind and Reconsider, a little passion project we'll get into in just a few minutes. But first, we got to hear from the man himself, Harrison. Thanks for taking some time to join us today on the Hoop Ball Lakers podcast. How the hell are you, man? No, I'm, you know, I'm doing as well as anybody can be in 2020 as we're like, you know, bracing for the second tidal wave of this pandemic, uh, just moved into a bigger place. So I have like an office to podcast from now. Um, oh, so yeah, like I can't, uh, yeah, no, thank you. I can't, uh, I, I honestly, I have no complaints. I, I am blessed to be able to get to do the work I do. And, uh, you know, despite the shortest off season in, in, in NBA history and NBA beat writer history, um, you know, I am still excited to get back to it and, and, uh, just thankful that I get to do this work. So I hope you guys are good too. All good here as usual, joined by our main man, JC, JC, how are things hanging down in the Midwest? Uh, doing pretty well. Everything good. And out here in L.A., we're getting ready for the Lakers season to start. Now, Harrison, I, w- I always like when we have a guest on that we like to start with a little bit of a story here, a little bit of a backstory. So you are full-time covering the Lakers. You don't have any other side hustle, any other full-time job. This is full-time your thing? Yeah, this is a, this is my full-time job. Other than uh, other than doing the movie, movie podcast with my wife is just like kind of a fun like side project for the two of us. Um, yeah, the the Lakers is my full-time thing. Only write it, only write and podcast at Silver Screen and Roll at least like you know on a paid basis. Like I do guest stuff and whatever. Um, but yeah, I am uh, I am extremely fortunate to uh, get to do that. Now, someone I started my career off on the media side. I was working with Bleacher Report, which then became Turner Sports and was with them for several years, also worked for NBC Sports. So I've been on the NBA media side as well. Now just on the podcast side, I've taken my talents to education to channel my inner LeBron. So I ask you, Harrison, to share a little backstory with our listeners because I know so many of them know who you are, definitely stoked like we are to have you on the show. How did you sort of get involved in this and and ultimately at what point did it become a full-time thing for you? 
Uh, so that is a long story that I will try to keep as abbreviated as I can. Um, I was a psych, I was a like languishing psych major in uh, at Irvine Valley College in Southern California, and uh, you know I just felt stuck. Like I had, you know, I really liked psychology, still interested in psychology. Like I think I finished like probably six or nine credits short of being able to get my minor in it, uh, but just didn't want to do that. Uh, I ended up just kind of dropping out of school. I was dealing with some back pain I was like uh like not passionate about my major once I got to like research methods in psychology I was like eh, maybe this is not for me anymore I don't know how familiar either of you guys are with that pod with that uh class but it is intense research statistical analysis all that stuff I barely like you know uh like gotten through statistics and psychology I was just you know, not passionate about it anymore. Dropped out of school, uh, ended up, I was just reading a lot of Silver Screen and Roll, actually, and a lot of Lakers coverage in general. Uh, and so, like, I ended up just applying to work there, started helping out with their daily news link, eventually just started writing more and more, switched my major, went back to school for communications, ended up working at the student paper while covering the Lakers and podcasting daily about them for Silver Screen and Roll. Um, was going through that, eventually went to Lakers Nation for a while, and then in, uh, you know, and all of this was like contracting work and, you know, to varying degrees of pay and all that stuff, and then eventually got recruited to come back and run Silver Screen and Roll as a uh, full-time site manager, and that was in 2019, so I was doing this from, I would say, 2013 to 2019 on like a freelance contracting basis until I finally, uh, or no, that was, yeah, I, I'm sorry, that was, I think, no, it was 2019. Yeah, it was 2019 when I got the full-time gig. I know 2020 has felt like 10 years all combined into one, so I don't blame you for sort of, you know, getting yeah, the no, timeline. I, there. Wait a second. And it, but yes, it was 2019 when, uh, when I got the full-time job. You know, that's so great, man. And I always say to my students that, you know, opportunity, it, it's always present. And unless you put yourself out there, you never know what you're going to expect. I mean, similar for me, I just got my start in media by simply asking, hey, I read your site every day. You know, how can I contribute? Are there ever any opportunities, et cetera, et cetera, while I was in my senior year of college? And, you know, lo and behold, that's how I, I found my way in. And ultimately, it's actually how I met the Hoopball founder, Aaron Bruski, as well. So if you're not afraid to put yourself out there, it's one of the greatest paths toward opportunity. And we're stoked that Harrison has been able to carve out this, I would say, better than niche. This is this. This is a real role. This is Harrison's got 40,000 Twitter followers. He's a man for Lakers news, memes, and all sorts of analysis, podcasts, and articles over at Lakers SBN Silver Screen and Roll. So, Harrison, you brought up uh, Lakers Nation, and you know we were fortunate to have Trevor Lane on the other day on our, our most recent episode of the Hoopball Lakers podcast, and we asked him the same question. I'm, I'm curious on your take, because as much as we could talk about education and mentorship and opportunities, I know our listeners are here for the Lakers. So, Harrison the most surprising and or enjoyable move of this A-plus Lakers offseason, but you can't pick Quinn Cook. <laughs> okay, so first of all, actually, it was 2018. I went back and looked it up that I got the full-time gig. So I've actually been doing this full-time for two years, although it seems like 10 at this point, as you mentioned, with 2020. Uh, and then also just, you know, shout out to Trevor Lane, uh, you know, like my former protege and uh, at Silver Screen Roll. I, you know, I made him. Like, don't let him tell you otherwise that he, like, <laughs> and, like did all of this stuff. Like, I, I, you know, I brought Trevor in and I turned him into what he is. So, uh, you know, I'm like, I'm happy to see him thriving, too. Uh, in all seriousness, he is uh, one of the best at this. And, you know, you, I'm glad that you guys were able to have him on, too. As far as, like, most surprising move of the Lakers offseason, I feel like there's only really one 
answer there, and it's uh, it's LeBron's extension. Like I, I just, uh, you know, I had no idea that that was coming down the pipeline. I don't think that really anyone did, and I think anyone who says they knew is lying, unless their name is LeBron James or Rich Paul or Rob Palinka, like you know, or Jeannie Buss, or you know, go through the command structure. But anyone on the outside, I, I don't think had any idea that this was even really an option or like on the table is something that was being considered. And like in retrospect, it makes sense. He's tacking on an extra year. He, it kind of lines up, you know, for when his son is potentially going to be coming into the league and all that. Like there's, the over 38 rule that this makes financial sense. It's just LeBron, like he does not sign extensions. This is not something he's ever done. And I don't think that anyone was really expecting that to change, but it really is like, you know, when Rob Palenka was asked what it meant, he just kept using the word trust over and over. And I think this really is an indication of the trust that LeBron has in the Lakers organization that, you know, he can commit long term. He doesn't have to leverage his future over them to get them to make win now moves and kind of honor his talent and Anthony Davis's talent by putting, you know, win now pieces around them like they're going to do. They have both of these guys, I think. You know, they have other reasons for committing long term, but for LeBron especially, I think for someone who has always taken, okay, short term, short term, short short term, keep the pressure on, uh, this is really, you know, the contract version of a trust fall. And he is confident that the Lakers are going to catch him. You know, could, very well said, in fact, and this is one of those things with the Lakers organization that they sort of built themselves back up to where they're more familiar, and now they've got their two marquee stars, two of the top five players in the world currently, and Anthony Davis and LeBron James locked up for the long term. And I don't care what anybody says. You know, we always sit here and say, oh, fans care about this stuff more than the players. No, the players notice, too. It sets a culture. It sets a certain level of expectations. And on the first day of Lakers practice, and this is a question for both of you guys, JC and Harrison, feel free to jump in. What is something that you're looking for this Lakers team right off the bat, right? I, I know it's hard to sort of have these expectations because the Lakers literally just won the title. They've upgraded the roster, although they have shifted away from an identity of last year's roster to this one. They've gotten younger. It seems like, you know, they, they've allowed their roster to morph in such a way where they're not going to be necessarily predictable in the sense of they're running back the same team from last year. It's the first day of Lakers practice and what is going to be in a... a thoroughly expedited training camp and preseason before the regular season starts. So what are we really looking for here as the Lakers get back underway? Um, I think the biggest thing is they have to, as early as possible, establish some kind of identity, whether they're going to be a defensive-focused team or a team that's really hard to stop offensively. I think they've got the second unit that can be hard to stop offensively. But, yeah, I think with Frank Vogel and how he established the defense last year, that's sort of the easiest thing and the easiest sort of a, a crazy word to to because everything's easier said than done but yeah i think too is to defense is based mostly on like effort and things like that and so i think establishing a defensive identity is probably the easiest thing for them to do first and build on that yeah it was interesting to hear uh, frank and rob talk the other day when they were you know made available to us because you know i think the expectation from all of us on the outside was like okay yeah this you know like you said this ethan like this team got younger and uh they also you know like they uh, like they maybe shifted away from the defensive identity that was not kind of the impression that Frank and Rob were trying to give off the other day. They were talking about how nasty and competitive all these guys are. And I actually do think that like Schroeder and Harrell at this point are like, it's, I think it's a little overrated how bad they are at defense because of the context that they were coming from, or maybe just like reputation or whatever it may be. Like, I think these guys have 
the tools and somewhat established ability to do certain things well on defense. And I think that Frank Vogel will utilize both of them and put them in positions to succeed most likely. And, you know, you have Marc Gasol who like, yeah, yeah, he's not what he once was, but he's still very clearly like an impact defender, smart defender, uh, sort of in like, he almost reminds me of when the Lakers brought in Tyson Chandler two years ago and he ended up falling apart. But like when he first came in, he was just rejuvenated by winning culture. Despite being older, he still, you know, in the, a winning situation, knew where to go, knew what to do to like help impact a winning defense. And I think that Marc Gasol is like almost like a version of that with potentially more left in the tank. And so, yeah, like I, I think the biggest as far as the biggest question for me left to be answered is like, can they actually prove this stuff that they're saying? Right. That they're still going to focus on defense, that they're still going to show up to play every day. Like we we all know the stats shortest 72 day, I think, offseason between when they won the title and when they're playing their first like real game again. It's literally exactly two months since they won the title when they'll be playing their first preseason game. Like, you know, we've all seen all this stuff. Will LeBron and AD show up to play every single game that they're out there? Like, I'm still a little dubious about that because I think that those guys, deservedly so, will need to load manage themselves even during games a little bit and try and keep a little bit in the tank for what they hope is going to be a long repeat playoff run. Um, But, you know, Frank and Rob were talking about how the guys that they brought in will kind of carry that passion and that, you know, that extra hard work. But I don't want to take their word for it. I want to see it. Like, it's easy for everyone to say all the right things. Like, we all see all around the league. Every single team got better. Every single young player has improved or added something to their game and added 25 pounds of muscle. And everyone's in the best shape of their life except for James Harden. And so, like, you know, they, (laughs) you know, like, we all know what every team says during training camp. I'm curious to see, can they actually come out and do it when the games start counting against their regular season win-loss record? And I believe Michael Porter Jr. is also on that preseason all-hype train list. Nothing against Michael Porter Jr., but as you said, best shape of their lives, Hall of Fame narrative is strong and popping. And I want to focus on something like... There's a real concern factor with MPJ there, too, is like when the NBA starts making the vaccine mandatory, like how long is he going to have to sit out, you know, in protest of that rule? Like, I think that is like a real question that the Nuggets are going to have to answer. And so it's going to be curious, right? I mean, it's 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 almost it's almost comparable to the school situation. But you made it you made a good point earlier and a connected point in that you know, in the Lakers getting younger on their roster, you know, Rob Palinka said, look, we don't want to be complacent and we want to have some guys who are able to sort of not offload the responsibilities of LeBron James and Anthony Davis. But ask anybody on that Lakers team last year when neither of those guys was on the floor. They struggled, and in particular, the second unit struggled. So do you think, and again, question for both of you guys, that the Lakers' line of thinking in terms of getting younger and getting deeper was at least partially motivated by the expedited offseason, or do you think this is something that they had prioritized even going back to before winning the title? It's probably a little bit of both. Um, Because, yeah, you know, I said last season, in the first three quarters of every game, there should be no minutes where neither LeBron or AD are on the on the floor. Like one of the, at least one of them or both of them should be on the floor for as much as possible. And I think now you're in a situation where where you don't necessarily need to rely on one of them to be on the floor for as you know as as the length of time. Uh, so yeah, I think part of it was that um, they're tr- trying to develop a core around Anthony Davis. And so I think they're trying to figure out which players are also going to stay for the long haul to kind of 
you know, have have a core beyond LeBron and AD. You probably want to have four or five guys that you can rely on for the next few years, and that's probably where a lot of that is motivated from. Yeah, I do. I was wondering about this myself of like, would they have made these exact same moves if they had a normal amount of time in the offseason? Like, I don't know. But like you said, like, I think that, you know, lining, lining, having guys that can carry forward with AD once LeBron either starts to age or leaves or however that goes. Like, I think that was something that was probably going to be important to them regardless. Like, and so I think that you know, I think that if these moves were available during, uh, like, a longer offseason, like, let's say they weren't going to start till March or something, like, who knows, you know, some point in the future, I still think they probably would have made similar moves, because, like, it's just, they're all on-paper upgrades. Like, they've, you know, everything that they've lost, and Dwight and JaVale and the physicality at the rim, like, yeah, but they got Marcus All, who can kind of replace that to a degree. You can maybe play Anthony Davis at the five a little bit more. Trez can definitely play the five in the regular season, you know, like, effectively, and then, you know, you lost Danny Green, but you replaced Wesley Matthews, who, like, might honestly be better with this team, might end up being a better fit. We'll see. Um, but is, you know, certainly a lot cheaper and allowed you to add other players of, like, more talent in Schroeder and, you know, Harrell that will upgrade your offense. So, like, I think that, honestly, they probably would have done this regardless. But I do think that it, it certainly helps during this type of lead up to the season and, like, the shortened time they have. The Lakers were getting to the point where it was like the running Knicks joke of Harkless and a pick of who can we move out for this expiring contracts and a pick with the Danny Green situation. So as surprising as it was to be able to flip the 28th pick in a very shallow draft and Danny Green for Dennis Schroeder, and obviously as surprising as LeBron's extension, not to mention Anthony Davis going for the full five years, granted the player option on the fifth year, I still sit here and I say, man, this Trez signing is surprising to me because when the Dwight Howard news broke that he was quote-unquote coming back to the Lakers and then it was invisible after five minutes, not even, I sat here and said one of two things happened. Either Dwight and the Lakers thought they, or Dwight thought that he had an agreement with the Lakers and or the Lakers got a call from a free agent that they didn't expect to be on and then they sort of backed out of the Dwight deal and said, no, this is a soft deal. I don't think that the Lakers expected that they would be able to be in on Montrez Harrell. Is do you have a similar read on this situation? Yeah. So uh, on the Dwight stuff, like my sense with that, uh, from you know talking to people and just like viewing it and like knowing Dwight a little bit and like understanding you know like how uh, like how free agency stuff goes down, like. I think that, and you know, Haynes obviously had the report where the Lakers are claiming that like they never made like a firm offer to Dwight and Dwight's admitted that he thinks that maybe he misunderstood. I still think that, you know, whatever they said to him, they clearly needed to be a little bit more explicit about what they were talking about and whatever. Like there, there, there were issues on both sides there. Now, Dwight, like probably should not have rushed to tweet the draft that he had ready about his return to the Lakers too. But I also think that like the Lakers, like that was not a great look for them, regardless of how it turned out or what led behind it like you know obviously they needed to be a little bit more explicit there because that doesn't happen unless Dwight really feels like he's coming back and that's kind of like disappointing and a little bit of a bad look for the franchise but at the same time I think part of that may stem like you know the explanation there of like we needed to go to ownership as if like Jeannie Buss is not kind of just signing off on like whatever Rob and you know president of basketball operations LeBron James are doing is like kind of like that rang a little bit hollow to me which does you know lend some credence I think to me to your theory of 
of, you know, they were talking with Rich Paul about KCP or something. And then he's like, oh, yeah, by the way, Trez is like maybe available for the mid-level or has some interest in that. And they're like, oh, wait, hold on a second. Get Dwight's agent back on the phone. Um, and so, like, you know, who knows what exactly was going on there or whatever. But it did kind of, you know, something smelled a little fishy about that. And I do think that, you know, if you had asked me like a week ago, what was the most surprising move of the Lakers offseason? It definitely would have been Trez because I didn't think that he was going to be available for that money or to even cross the hallways, given how much, you know, fans can say it's not a rivalry. It's not a rivalry. It was clearly a rivalry between the two teams to the point that, like, you know, you can tell which media members even are in the faction of one versus the other and whatever. So, um, like, you know, I, I thought that that was surprising for a lot of reasons that he opted to jump ship. Again, in retrospect, given that he's saying that the Clippers didn't really want him, him coming here is kind of an F you to them does kind of make sense. But in the moment, that was shocking. Well, the Clippers wound up paying Serge Ibaka the same contract that Montrez Harrell got. So I ask, I say, I'm, I, I, I would think that the Clippers are probably happy given that Serge Ibaka is a better fit for their roster for what they need. Would Serge Ibaka have been a better fit for the Lakers than Trez? You know, I, I think that's that's an interesting question that we won't fully know the answer to before the season. If you would ask me, uh, like, so I'm I'm going to do my best to be unbiased here. If you would ask me before free agency, who would I rather have for the Lakers roster? I would have said Ibaka because of the defensive stuff. Because I think, like, identity-wise, given where he is established as a player, it just made more sense to me from an X's and O's perspective and like what the team would need, especially if Dwight and Javale left. Like, you're honestly getting a better version of those players that can shoot three and like do more things for you on offense too like you know so that would have been like so I, I still feel kind of that way but that said getting more familiar with what Trez brings like I do think that there is at least a possibility that he ends up being a better fit than any of us would have anticipated beforehand because I just like look I'll just be honest I wasn't as familiar with his game before free agency as I was with Abaka. just he's been around the league longer seen him play a lot more times you know like I, I really enjoyed watching the Raptors last year like I definitely watched the Clippers too but Trez definitely struck me especially during their playoff collapse as like you know a little bit one-dimensional I just wonder how much of that was impacted by coronavirus him grieving his grandma who he was very clearly close to I don't want to like guess at that stuff because I don't know but watching his game and like reading the stats on him I do think that he will be a cleaner fit here than maybe I would have anticipated before free agency that said I still like in a vacuum I still think Ibaka would make more sense but maybe Trez has a little bit more upside if that makes sense totally JC yeah I mean I like the I mean, I like what it turned into. Like, the idea of Ibaka the being in a free agency would have been really interesting. But to for the alternative of one player being Ibaka being now Marc Gasol and Trez, I think the Lakers end up getting the better end of the deal. And I agree with Harrison in that it, it's hard to really gauge uh, Trez's impact on, on what his potential impact could be based on the bubble. Because, I mean, watching his highlights before the bubble... I know a lot of people are concerned about him clogging up the lane with Anthony Davis, but he, you know, he, just because he doesn't shoot three pointers, but he doesn't exactly, you know, become a tree in the post. He he he. He's a really good isolate isolation player from about 18, 18 feet away from the basket. He's got um, these weird little flip shots too, which I kind of like. I just love any player that takes like unconventional shots, and so I enjoy that part of it too. Yeah, re yeah, really good ISO player. He can drive. He he spaces the floor out. He just doesn't space the floor out all the way to the three point line, and so I think that's a misconception on Trez's game. 
How yeah, much... no, I, I absolutely think so. I think that it's a cleaner fit than maybe, especially with Schroeder in tow to run pick and rolls with him. And I also think, like, even if he's not a lob threat, he's a guy who has those nifty little weird finishers around the basket. Like, LeBron is going to—he's just coming into such a different situation here that it's hard to know exactly how it's going to work because we haven't seen them play together. But he does seem like the kind of guy that, like, especially given LeBron's, you know, history of kind of, you know— taking clutch guys under his wing and like turning them into the best version of the player that they can be. I do think that with Schroeder, with LeBron, like he, like, you know, he won six man of the year last year playing with Lou Williams and that's no disrespect to Lou Williams. They clearly had chemistry, whatever, like, you know, but playing with LeBron is a whole different thing. And I think the type of player that LeBron and the threat of LeBron can turn him into might be even better than what he was last year and give the Lakers a dynamic that they didn't have, which is someone who can go get a bucket on their own. You know, even if they get a pass from LeBron, they can, uh, you know, like they can create something too as that secondary attacker, which is something the Lakers didn't really have from their role guys last year, other than Kuzma occasionally. If I sat here and asked you today what the Lakers center rotation looks like in terms of minutes, is your starter Marcus Saul and how do the minutes shake out, including Anthony Davis's time at the five? Oh, is that for, sorry? Is that for me? Um, uh, like I would say, uh, I would say Mark would be would be my starter. I've heard people make compelling arguments for Trez, and like, so I'm not totally against that. It's just if it were me, I'd kind of my inclination would be to stick with the identity that got you there. And so honestly, like my star my starters personally would be uh like it would be it would be Mark, it would be AD, it would be LeBron, it would be KCP, and it would be Caruso. Um, but I think that it will mo like you know more likely my guess would be that it would be Matthews replacing Caruso. Uh, like if Frank was going to go with that identity, but if they're going to go with you know kind of the much speculated starting line, like my prediction actually is that it's going to be Schroeder and KCP and LeBron, AD and Mark. But we will see. Although I, I have heard like there have been people that have said Trez. You know, despite what he said about being willing to play any role that he was somewhat told that he would maybe like get a starting role here. I believe Anthony Irwin has reported that he's heard that. Um, so we'll see if he ends up starting. And it, like, to be clear, I I'm really not against it. I just like my inclination and I'm less bold than Frank Vogel, clearly, uh, and less of a good basketball coach, obviously. But my inclination would be to stick with the big, big lineup that kind of works so well. But again, like, we'll see what he ends up going with. That's kind of exactly where my head was at. Like my my, I envisioned my starting five backcourt to be KCP and Caruso. Like that started Game Six because yeah, even like with I, Marcus you know, Solis, why, why change it up? That just won you the title. Yeah, it, it's a defensive oriented starting lineup. Like good luck scoring on that starting five, and then you have a fully offense oriented uh, backup unit in Trez, yeah. Roder, Kuzma. And then, then you can that's why I love Matthews it. Like, I, I love that idea of bringing Schroeder and Trez and Kuz off the bench. Like, I really feel like that gives you a fast, like, you know, attacking identity with that second unit. The Lakers just did not have anything close to last year. Yeah, 100% agree. Frank Vogel is a guy, you know, in, in basketball, really in all sports, you hear a lot about the coach when things are not going as well as they could, shall we say. And you hear a lot less about the coach when things are going really well, unless they are a star-studded Hall of Fame coach a la Phil Jackson. Frank Vogel technically was third in line for this Lakers job before last year. When Frank Vogel was he hired... Was he, was, he was in consideration to be the lead assistant. 
Right. And when he was, he was hired, like, at best, their third choice at best. And like, the, I, the, I don't even think that it was there. Like you, you heard more about Jawan Howard early on than you heard about Frank. Like, yeah, you know, I honestly think he was probably fourth or fifth. And I believe, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe both uh, T. Lou and Monty Williams were both offered five year deals to coach this team. No, I do not believe that is the case. I mean, maybe Monty Williams. I haven't heard as much about that, but Lou, I think, was upset that like his contract was only going to line up with LeBron. So I, I do not imagine that they were offering him a five-year deal. Okay, so that's so. Thank God. So you've got Frank Vogel signed on a three-year deal. Is that correct? I think it was three years. Yeah, I think it was the deal that Lou wouldn't accept. So I believe it was three years, which was the original. Or it might have only been – no, it was three. It was three because we'd be hearing more about, like, them negotiating an extension with him or something this season if it was only two. And, you know, like, he, he wanted in his first – it was that, It was three, yeah. I yeah, mean, this, sure it was three. This, is a, it, this is a guy who in Indiana built himself up to be quite the coach with the Roy Hibbert – yes, I said Roy Hibbert – led Pacers and that identity. No, of look, team. people forget Roy Hibbert was a problem. Like He was a LeBron stopper. Yeah. He was good. And for whatever reason, his quick decline obviously was on full display. He even spent some time with the Lakers. And the thing yes. is, when, after, Fra after Frank Vogel went to Orlando, and I don't really know what happened. You know, things in terms of basketball, it appears that Orlando is the place where things go to die. You know, hopefully somebody saves uh, Vucevic out of there before it's too late. But he was an afterthought. And yeah. now he's front and center of this Lakers team. Not only has he been able to coach LeBron James and get him to buy in, not only has he been able to coach Anthony Davis and get him to buy in, they have both publicly outspoken in their praise for him multiple times. I mean, can we give Frank Vogel a little love here? Yeah, I mean, I I feel like I have given in my writing and podcasting Frank Vogel plenty of love, but like I, I can reiterate, like I honestly think that he is a he is at worst a top five NBA coach right now, and I know that that is going to be something that like people get upset about and have certain feelings about because they're like he had LeBron and AD, how hard is that? Like, so you know you can like it's you have that viewpoint, but getting that roster to gel into like if you watch every game of that Lakers team last year from the from the first day, it was clear that they were on the same page defensively and like that they everyone knew their role everyone knew what was expected from them and so like i, I just think the job that he did is incredible like beyond incredible there's no question and i think for me i sit here and i look at this you know obviously the entire lakers coaching staff deserves credit the whole organization deserves credit but in particular the way that frank vogel has been able to to not only lead this team but lead this team through true adversity. I mean, yeah. they they were playing their best basketball at the time the season shut down. I was leaving Ralph's when Rudy Gobert tested positive for COVID nineteen and not even shut the basketball world down. Really shut the world down. That was that was a world event. And so, to be able to come into the bubble, you know, look a little I don't want to say rocky and overstellar, but to look less than great initially, get back on track show people that after game one or the first game of the playoffs that they're here to play and they're focused and locked in on this mission and every guy on that team bought into his role whether it was mark keith morris or even guys like Dion waiters and jr smith who god knows how got playoff minutes even a guy like Taylor horton tucker a rookie when he had his number called he was ready to go it speaks to a leadership on that team and of course lebron and ad influenced that but frank vogel man this is the best coach the lakers never knew they were going to have 
Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. He was a guy that was happy to defer credit, happy to work with everyone on the team. Like, he understands that he is not their boss. Like, you know, like a head coach in the NBA, especially on a LeBron James team, like, you are not the boss. Like, you are a consultant, essentially. And you are a co-worker, at best, of LeBron. And, like, a, you know, a cons- you know, you help them. And look, like, he, that doesn't mean he didn't hold LeBron accountable. He absolutely did. He held him accountable. He held Anthony Davis accountable. The entire locker room held each other accountable. And he he also, I think, deserves a lot of credit for the way that he found roles for his assistant coaches, empowered them so that everyone felt like everyone from, you know, like the bottom assistant coach to the top of the player roster to the bottom to like, you know, the 15th man on the bench. Like every single person felt like they had a role in the success, felt like they had a voice in the locker room. And I just think that it's rare that he was able to strike that kind of kumbaya balance. And it's credit to him. And it's also a credit to the players for everyone coming together. And, you know, just working together. I think every single person in that locker room deserves credit. But Vogel, like right from the top of just setting that tone of, you know, we're all going to play for each other where everyone gets to have a say if we're doing like go out and I'm going to come up with a plan with my coaches and you guys are going to go out and try it. And if it doesn't work, I am open to suggestions of you can say, well, no, maybe we should hedge here. We should do this or whatever. Like, I will listen to that. And because you guys are out on the floor, you see things that I don't see. And we're all going to come to these conclusions together and vote on it. And once we make a final decision, everyone knows what they're supposed to do from LeBron to THT coming in for five minutes. Yeah, I think Vogel gets a lot of credit for building the coaching staff that he did, too, because a lot of people criticize the idea of, of having Jason Kidd be the lead assistant. And people th- speculated that by February, Jason Kidd would be after the head coaching job or have the head coaching job. And I think his, his role there was kind of he's real familiar with LeBron. And so, yeah, you never heard any rumors of there being any kind of any kind of rift between Vogel and Jason Kidd or any other th- or anything like that. No, if anything, like those two guys went to bat for each other constantly. Frank constantly talked about how valued Jason Kidd was and how like they were, you know, coming together. And in the rare interview, the only interviews Jason Kidd would grant last year, he was like he tried mostly kept to himself. The only topic that he was willing to talk about was how good of a job Frank Vogel was doing. And like those two, I think some of that look like some of that is Kidd trying to change his reputation as a like coup enthusiast. Um, And so like, you you don't 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 think that he wants to be known as the human meme that that's told to hit me so he could spill the soda all over the floor yeah look like he had that he tried to overthrow his bosses in his last two stops you know like he basically started leaking to the media that Giannis was crying when jason kidd uh got fired and wanted him to stay and like all that like there was just all this insane stuff that he got wrapped up in and i think you know he was as motivated to change his reputation as anyone but that said that does not mean that he did not truly buy in and like you know help with what the lakers were doing and i think he did I think he helped. Lionel Hollins helped. Phil Handy was a huge asset. Like all of those guys got big roles, and Frank Vogel like really seemed to prioritize adding just like large basketball brains to this staff and figuring all the rest of that stuff out later. And they were all able to come together. And I think that an underrated thing that Vogel did was really empower, especially the former player assistants, to have voice and be able to communicate things as a player because he is very openly acknowledged. Look, I have not played in the NBA. The highest level I, I think the highest level he played was like division three um basketball like you know he's clearly a smart guy but he also knows that it's different 
when you're actually going out and doing it. And, you know, I think that the mistake that some of these, you know, quote unquote, smart guy, like video room coaches make when they come up the ranks without playing is like, they don't have the communication ability and like the ability to understand that they did not play and respect that that is a different thing. And I think Vogel does not lack that at all. He's someone that's always empowered the former assistants on his staff and like that can, or former players, excuse me, on his staff. And I think that that's something that continued here and was a huge factor in their success last year, as was like the brilliance of those former assistants and, you know, the players for buying into all of it and working with him. And I think that's it goes to speak that the Lakers organizationally have been able to shift away from an identity of what was and now embracing the what is. And, you know, one of the things that recently came to my attention, and, and it's going to wind up being a question to you, Harrison, but one of the things that recently came to my attention is the way that Rob Palinka spoke about Anthony Davis at the time the Lakers acquired him. And, you know, at the time it was seen as, oh, the Lakers are giving up a bounty to acquire Anthony Davis. Well, yes, you know, when you're acquiring a top five NBA talent, you should be giving up a bounty. Yeah. But in reality, it was well it was well worth the price and then some with a championship and a five-year extension in the bag, especially given, and I love Brennan Ingram. Love, 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 love Brennan Ingram. But I'll pay Anthony Davis over $190 million for the next five years instead of Ingram $160 million for the next five years. Gladly. And with a big smile on my face if I'm the Lakers. So yeah, when look, I, I love Ingram. I loved his game when he was here. I thought that he had a lot of potential. I am enjoying watching Pelicans fans have to admit that he's good after they trashed him the entire time <laughs> during those. Like, Ingram's great, but Anthony Davis is a top five player. Like you said, like, you know, you got to give up talent to get talent. That's just how it goes. Like, and like those guys were the guys they gave up were good, but AD is transformative. Exactly. He's a generational talent. And, and I think the term superstar is one of the most overused in the NBA, because if somebody like Jamal Murray and, and look, I'm not trying to sit here and knock Jamal Murray, but if somebody like Jamal Murray is a superstar, then what is LeBron James? A super duper 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 star. Like there, there is no term. Yeah, like that Jamal Murray's a superstar. Like LeBron James is like a Jedi master or something. Like, right, you know, like right. gotta come up with a new term. Like exactly, exactly. Right. So when Rob Palinka spoke about the acquisition, he said, "Look, I understand we're giving up good young talent, and you know the uh, the chance at optionality." future draft assets we said but anthony davis is in his prime in fact he was just entering his prime he's just entering his prime right now and so this is about the current and the future and so the reason i bring this up is because you know you're somebody harrison who as a result of what you do you have access to this team and i always enjoy talking to people who have access to the team because they're able to get a certain level of access that obviously most fans or most people are not so i appreciate good questions so somebody who is regularly around the team, albeit via Zoom or whatever video modality it might be nowadays, what is something that you have sensed in sort of the last couple of years, whether it's something recently or something prior, that has just been different and more familiar with, with previous years of success? Does that question make sense? So, like, I guess, what like, is the question, like, what, uh, like, what former tenets of their success, like, have they readopted or, like, what has changed to make them more successful? I think what what has changed, if, if there is anything that they've readopted, then of course, but I think what has changed, and also in terms of Rob Palenka being in the front office and sort of doing things his way instead of the Magic Johnson way, do you think that has had, I mean, clearly it's had a positive impact. <laughs> yeah, what, I was oh, going to say, I feel like we know uh, the answer to that one. I don't what, think you need what, me for what, that. <laughs> right. So what 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 do you think it's done more for like the player culture, right? Because obviously we know that the the, the talent has been upgraded and then the results have been upgraded. But in terms of the player culture, what has it done for that? I mean, I know LeBron James is on the roster. I know Anthony Davis is on the roster. But not 
everybody, believe it or not, necessarily wants to just play with those guys. Maybe they want to play for something more. Wesley Matthews, I know his dad played for the organization, so there may be a biased personal connection there. But are there guys now that, you know, we couldn't get LaMarcus Aldridge to take a max contract a few years ago. So are there guys now who are just liking the Lakers lore a little bit more than previously? Yeah, so there, there's a lot to get to there. I think, like, one of the things... It, it's interesting. The Wesley Matthews thing is obviously, like, a storybook tale on its surface. But, like, his dad wasn't really in his life. And so... Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Like, he's admitted that. He's talked about that before. And, you know, he says that, like, what is, now their relationship is better and his dad is actually apparently moving out to L.A. to kind of be closer to him and his family. Um, but, like, you know, they were estranged for a long time and, like, his dad wasn't around. But one of his favorite pictures of them is his dad on the court holding him, uh, you know, when he was, uh, like, you know, just a little kid. And, you know, Bill Orm of The Athletic did a great story where he talked to Wes Matthews Sr. about, like, you know, apparently Wes Matthews was born on a Laker game day and, like, he can't, or, like, either right before. And, like, he was being held by Magic Johnson Pat Riley, like all these people, all these legendary figures in the locker room, which is just like, like, that's crazy to think, like, just to like, imagine having baby photos of yourself, like being held by Magic Johnson, Pat Riley, like, that's awesome. Um, Surreal. Yeah, totally. Yeah, like he was literally born a Laker, basically, and born to be a Laker, you know, when you look at it that way, but it is a little bit more complicated than that. But like that said, I, I think the history point is an interesting one, because like you'd think, okay, so like the storybook tale again on its face is Magic Johnson comes back, leads the Lakers back to their glory years and recruits this new star that he can empathize with and relate to and stuff. But honestly, I, I think that when Magic left, it created a void that allowed LeBron to feel like he could, you know, fully, you know, push out his cultural ideas of what an organization should be. And I think the Palinka as a former agent to the stars of, you know, Kobe, James Harden, like all these guys go down the line. Like, I think that he understood even for role players and stuff like the types of things they want to hear as an agent, the types of organizations that they want to go to. And because of the lack of magic, because of being able to work with LeBron and have that kind of partnership versus like, you know, LeBron kind of, you know, feeling like he maybe needed to retreat to the background a little bit, somewhat passive aggressively, we should note, but allow magic to kind of make his imprint where that's not really necessary anymore. Once that big personality is gone from the room and he's had a year to be a Laker to kind of set his roots down and I think that all of it factors in but you know I think that LeBron is to some degree a culture onto himself but I do think that Palinka deserves credit for you know thinking about okay when I was an agent and what did my players want what did you know my role players want what did my stars want how can we make this the type of organization that they want to play for at every single level and bring in the types of guys that stars want to play with 
you know, consult with Anthony Davis and LeBron. So they're almost like team captains of what guys that they want to bring in and sort of assemble, assemble a menu of options for everyone so that they can pick and we can have this kind of collaborative approach. And that's something that I think is very important to him. And also why you see LeBron and AD feel like they have enough ownership in this that they can commit long term, even when that has traditionally not been the clutch sports strategy. How much weight does LeBron have on this roster? Yes. All of it? Yeah, just all of it. <laughs> just I think, all, of, uh, all of the weight. I've, I've heard him referred to, uh, like Eric Pincus, I think, has called him the president of basketball operations, essentially. And obviously, <laughs> the Lakers cannot formalize that title. But that is my best understanding of how that, you know, works. Like, LeBron is not out here, like, making trade calls or whatever. But uh, he certainly gets consulted on anything and everything before they do it, despite what him, you know, being able to have the deniability of saying, like, oh, yeah, no, that's a management choice. He was he was on uninterrupted or the road tripping podcast two days before Quinn Cook was re-signed and he said yeah we might bring Quinn Cook Quinn Cook back. Yeah, no, I'd love it if we gave <laughs> oh, Quinn Cook wow. a look, and I, I like to imagine that he gave Rob Palinka no other heads up than that. Like Rob just listened to the road tripping podcast and was like, all right, I guess we're signing Quinn Cook. <laughs> yeah, could you imagine? Right. Rob just tuned in on Spectrum. like, oh man, I better call Quinn's agent back. I guess we're <laughs> I guess we gotta bring him back. Like if uh, if my boss says so, like. As, as the Lakers have sort of trimmed up this roster, it, it's the perfect time for me to talk about Manscaped and to all the ball handlers out, out there. Before you throw out your team's gear, make sure you take care of your below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped is here to sync the competition and deliver the best tools for your below-the-waist grooming experience. And that is why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released the new and improved lawnmower 3.0 the lawnmower 3.0 will do a little bit of everything for you and it is simply the best modern hygiene tool for the modern man so you want to head over to manscaped.com get 20 percent off and free shipping with the code hoopball20 at manscaped.com 20 percent off free shipping manscaped.com only with the code hoopball20 we got to mix in a little bit of everything on these shows, Harrison. So as we Yo, continue, look, hey, shout out, shout out to outgoing Manscaped spokesman uh, and new Sixer Danny Green. Like you know, like he, <laughs> you know, did the greatest Manscaped dad of all time in a Lakers uniform, and that like that may be like his lasting legacy here. And so like I always like you know, look, they created a memorable ad campaign with him, and uh, you know, I will that is what that will be one of my ongoing Lakers memories of Danny Green. Hey, man, I mean, at least it's a positive one and not him missing the shot to cost the title. You know? <laughs> that, I mean, that one too, but um, look, it didn't cost the title. It just delayed a title. That we got to right. reframe. Right, right. And if it had resulted in a different outcome, he would have been on the first bus out of here. His choice yeah, or not. I mean, he would have been, been probably cut rather than traded. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. Okay, so LeBron has all the weight on this roster. As the Lakers move forward, I want to ask you about a couple of things. One is because they obviously just brought back Quinn Cook. The Lakers are now full on their roster. I mean, technically there's one spot open, but as Trevor told us, because the Lakers are hard capped, they really can't fill that spot until later in the season and it becomes yeah. a prorated salary on the buyout yeah, market. No, I take credit for that because, again, I taught Trevor everything he knows. So, like, uh, <laughs> I'm glad I'm podcast. I'm more than glad to give you, I'll give you all the credit. I'll make sure I <laughs> let Trevor know about that as well. And, and so I sit here and, and we ask him the same question. I want to ask, get your input. Because Quinn Cook is back, you know, you could definitely make the argument that the Lakers could have used another ball handler, which, you know, I guess Quinn Cook is. But are the Lakers short on the wing at all right now? 
Uh, you know, that's a, that is a good question. That's something that I've been wondering about. Like, I think so it's two, there's two answers to this. I think for the regular season, yes, I think they are a little bit like obviously they don't have other than Wes Matthews and, you know, like LeBron, but he's not probably going to do that like every game during the regular season. They don't have a guy to guard those bigger wings. But like how many bigger wings are you playing that you can't, you know, just kind of shade towards the big guys like, you know, try and do your best. Let them get some points, but like hopefully stop the other guys during the regular season. Like there's Kawhi, like, you know, there's KD, depending on the form that he returns in like the. I mean, there's a number of them where that will matter, but during the regular season, it's not a huge concern for me just because I think they have enough other stuff where they can win enough games that they're going to be okay. And then during the playoffs, I think the answer is yes, because you have LeBron, you have AD can even be that bigger wing stopper when you need him to be. He showed that in the finals before he kind of got his ankle injury. Um, And then you have Wes Matthews, who's obviously like a tremendous in that role. So I I think they're good. Uh, Alfonso McKinney even has some promise there uh, and has shown that apparently during his time with the Cavs I haven't gotten to look with him as closely but from talking to people who covered the Cavs very closely and reading stuff about him it sounds like he can at least bring that to some degree and then like you have Taylor Horton Tucker's a bigger body that you can throw out there if he's getting some minutes like they have answers and coups I didn't even mention yet like you know KCP can sometimes defend up depending on the size but not really um so yeah they're a little short there for the regular season but during the playoffs it's not a huge concern for me yeah, Kuzma, I think, is that X factor that uh, yeah, sort of relies I, in there because he he played a lot. He played some minutes at the four last season. They're plenty. They're plenty stocked up on fives and fours this season. So Kuzma shouldn't play any more minutes at the four. He'll probably spend most of his even, minutes even at the said three. The other day, but he's he sees himself as a three now. Like yeah. I think mostly. Um, yeah. And so that was interesting, and I think that is kind of where I see him too. Like I originally was on the Kuz as a four train, but I think at this point we've seen he has more wing skills than he does big skills. Yeah. So I think he'll play mostly three, and I think he's gets bigger twos. He he's wiry and athletic enough to play uh, to guard against twos. Yeah. So while we're talking about Kyle Kuzma, let's talk about Kyle Kuzma. Harrison, convince me that Kyle Kuzma is going to continue to be an effective defender and be a star in his role and not take the D'Angelo Russell approach of what's the best play for Kyle Kuzma every time he gets the ball on offense because that's kind of where I'm at with him. And if you had to give him same question as, as with Trevor, you ready? Yes, I'm ready. All right. If you had to give him the same contract that the Clippers just gave Marcus Morris, four years, $64 million to keep him, is that an extension you're willing to sign him to right now? <laughs> no, no, that is not. Um, I, I, I'm not there yet with Kuz. Uh, I mean, obviously, there is a chance that that could be an underpay in a couple of years, like depending on how he develops. Like, there's, there's a chance. I will acknowledge that, even as not like the biggest Kuz believer. Like, I would. It, it's funny. Like, I, my. My tone has shifted, but, like, my view hasn't really shifted on Kuz, but because of where the perception of his has shifted, like, I think I was considered a Kuz pessimist a couple years ago when he was putting up big scoring numbers and whatever on bad teams, and, like, now I'm considered a Kuz optimist. My opinion on him really hasn't changed. It's just, like, the perception of him has swung from future all-star, mob of mentality, winner, whatever, to, like, he averaged, like, six less points, and all of a sudden he sucks. Um, and so I think he has become 
a better player for winning basketball games now than he has. I do think that he has kind of a tough path to realizing that potential on this Lakers roster because of the additions that they've made, um, you know, with Mar- Markeith Morris coming back with like, you know, a number of other additions, like the path to real playing time for him. And he seems to recognize this is becoming a wing defender and like being able to do those winning things off of the bench. Um, but look, this is a make or break year for him. He really has to like show or he's going to get benched. Like they have other options to provide that scoring, that ball handling, whatever. Like, he really is going to have to step up as a wing defender. And, uh, like, you know, I don't know if I can convince you of those things that you want me to convince you of. Uh, I just don't <laughs> think that, like, I, I would be I would be lying um, if I convinced you of those things. But that said, um, you know, I thought that uh, Cranjus McBasketball, Tim, uh, you know, like Lakers Twitter, I think all knows him over at the B-Ball Index. He was on his Lakers Exceptionalism podcast. And, you know, he gave a stat that made my brain explode a little bit. Uh, in that, like, so if you look at the Lakers in terms of how the B-ball index is stats define shot quality. Um, so, like, if you looked at every single player on the Lakers last year, basically every single role player almost had an A in shot quality, which basically means they were taking good shots within the flow of the offense, open shots, like the types of shots that you would want those guys to take for the role they're slotted in, all of that stuff. LeBron and AD had an F in shot quality, but that doesn't mean that they're bad players. It just means that, like, they were taking difficult shots, which is what you would expect from those guys. Those are difficult shot makers and those are the guys that like like you want your superstars to some degree to be taking f shot quality because that means they're they are the ones taking the bad shots that your offense has necessitated sometimes the only other guy with an f on the lakers roster is coos um and so that theoretically like if he is slotted into a role that gets him the type of like not even A shots, like just get him C shots. And I all of a sudden think that we're seeing a much different player. And I think that Frank seems to recognize that. I think Kuz recognizes that. And I think that on this role, like on this team where you have a guy like Schroeder, you have a guy like Harold that can go get their own buckets. You aren't going to be asking Kuz to do that as much. And you can get him going more as a secondary attacker. And maybe we start to see some kind of breakout of him. I heard that stat and I'm honestly, I've never been more optimistic about Kuz just because it seems like there's literally almost no way he could go but up in terms of his utilization. How many minutes per game do you think Kyle Kuzman plays when the Lakers start their season? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I'm going to say like, I don't know, like 16, I think is probably about where he's at. Like, you know, just given like, you know, how many other pieces they have, like playing time is going to be tough to come by. JC? Yeah, I was, I was I was actually thinking right around 16 also. Yeah, there's there's so many minutes to, like they're like not maybe just going to do. Just because maybe he's like the full-time backup wing behind LeBron. Like, I don't know, like 20 is probably the most I can see, like at least at the start. Yeah, and and like when we talk about that second unit, but it's not like the Lakers are going to do line changes like in hockey. Like when the second unit comes in, one of AD or LeBron is probably still going to be out there, and so it's not a full five five people that are going to come in off the bench, and so that might leave Kuzma to come in later sometimes. And yeah, he may just have to kind of get used to maybe not starting to play until the second half of the second quarter, or maybe sometimes even not play in the first half. I I have a hard time believing that if Kyle Kuzma is going to play 16 minutes a game, that he's going to remain happy in that role and or maybe not even effective in that role. But if he's going to remain content, and I hope he does, I root for his success, of course, because ultimately it contributes to the Lakers' success as well. But if he's going to remain in that role, I think he's going to have a tough time getting the contract he thinks he's going to get next offseason because I think Kyle Kuzma is looking for like close to $20 million a year here. Uh, yeah, I've, you know, I've, I've heard similar, um, is all I will say, because I don't want to like get into too specifics, but yeah, he is, he is looking for a lot of money, I will say. 
Yeah, he's he's in a tricky spot. I mean, he he clearly loves L.A. and the L.A. lifestyle. I don't know if that that kind of contract is going to get him that on this team in this city. But I mean, remains to be seen. Yeah, I, Liz, just to clarify, I've not heard twenty million. Like, I it's less, but like I, you know, it, it, he's looking for a lot. I will say. I also just think that there is not a team out there, especially not one that's going to tie up its cap space and restricted free agency without a maybe a sign-in trade that sits here today and says, you know what, we're a Kyle Kuzma away from really doing something here. Yeah, like, I mean, that said, there are more teams with cap space next summer, and, like, we've seen how that can go, you know, like, where teams start, like, you know, they miss out on the stars, and those guys come off the market, and all of a sudden, it's like, well, you know, we could pay $20 million to Kyle Kuzma or whatever, so, and the other thing is, too, like, while the Lakers do have him in restricted free agency, I do think that now that their cap space is tied up until at least 2023, reaching an, reaching an extension with him makes sense both if you believe in his upside and just so that you have a larger contract to make trades with, potentially. But, like, that is, again, like, that's getting a step ahead. Like, I think that you have to decide that you believe in him, which I very much think that the Lakers do. Again, like, financially, whether or not they believe in him is different um, and whether or not they believe that he is worth whatever he wants. Like, they have to find a middle ground on that but um like i do think that extending him makes sense for both basketball reasons and like cap reasons as well as like potential future trade reasons what is the extension that you are willing to put on the table for kyle kuzma like i think i'd offer him i'm trying to think like i think i'd offer like i'd offer at least 10 like 10 mil a year i think how many years I don't know. Uh, to be honest, I'm not enough of a cap guy to even know how many years he's eligible for. I would assume probably five, right? Like, I, you know, I, I would not go five. I think that I'd try to tie it towards when, LeBron, when LeBron's contract comes up. Uh, maybe like, you know, three years, 30 million, but he's probably looking for a lot more than that. I have a hard time believing he's going to take the Jay Crowder deal, but yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll see. I think. I think Kyle Kuzma, if he really truly embraces the, the the potential for him to be the star in his role, continues to excel from the corner three, continues to embrace that defender that we saw in the bubble a little bit, I really think there will be teams that are more willing to pay him versus if he just remains that sort of offense first player, kind of unclear role, unclear position, and a me first kind of guy. I think he'll do a lot better by buying into his role. Yeah, I know. I 100% agree. And I, I think that, like, my guess would be that he buys in just because he's competitive and you just, you don't really have a choice. Like, if he sulks, like, he's just not going to play. And then, that, like, that's not good for anybody. I'm going to go really dark side here. Can Taylor Horton Tucker average more minutes than Kyle Kuzma? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I mean, barring, like, serious <laughs> injuries or something, like, I don't think so. Like, I, I think that now um, they have, like, a lot of guard depth on this team, and I actually think that he got squeezed a little bit by free agency, but we'll see. Like, I, I think there will be nights where he plays now just because, like, look, he's going to be a free agent next summer. you got to figure out what you have in him. Um, but I, I think that it'll be more nights when, you know, LeBron or AD take the night off. As we sort of sit here and discuss roster machinations – I'm really intrigued by a lineup that's LeBron, Matthews, KCP, Trez, and AD. Yeah, me too. I mean, look, there's a lot of intriguing lineup combinations on this team. Like, I think there's a lot of interesting smaller lineups. I'm very, I'm really interested to see the Coos, uh, or not, sorry, not Coos, AD and Trez backcourt. We have two guys with like the nicknames with the Z at the end. I'm gonna say, I'm, I'm gonna do that all year. Um, and so. Like, I, I'm very intrigued to see the AD-Trez matchup, both defensively and offensively. Like, how does that work? Because I think that it has a it has a chance 
to allow both of them to help each other, but it also has a chance to just like everything's clogged up and it doesn't really work. So I'm very curious to see how that goes. And, you know, they obviously got to have shooting around them too. Yeah. I think with this team, you know, basketball being where it is and what we're all kind of taught from a younger age, like there's a lot of importance and, and, you know, certain pedestal being placed, you're placed upon when you're a starter. But I think with this team, it's going to come down to like closing lineups and who's going to, who's going to play the most in the fourth quarter. So, I mean, who starts isn't really, the most important thing on this particular team, I don't think. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. There's so much talent that, like, you know, what matters is just what lineups end up getting the most run. Which, I mean, normally, like, I hesitate to say, to say starting doesn't matter for that reason, because usually the starters get the most minutes together. But that said, there's so much talent on this team. All these guys are going to intermix. And we also saw, again, last season that don't overreact to lineups during the regular season. If there's one thing that Lakers fans need to learn from how last year went, it's like things are different in the playoffs. They, uh, Frank has a quicker hook. He tries more things. He experiments. He figured the regular season is gathering a sample size so that you can have gut feels of what's going to work against different kind of matchups during the postseason. All right. Is there any part of you that is surprised that Marcus all signed a straight two year deal? Not really. I mean, I was honestly kind of surprised they were able to get him for that. Um, But I think that, like, cap-wise and just for him, you know, financial security-wise, like, if he's going to take that little, at least give him two years. Like, I think that um, that's probably what enticed him to sign on there and, like, to, you know, pull the trigger on that. I'm surprised he didn't want a player option on the second year, at least, on a straight two-year deal. At the minimum, I just don't know if there's like cap stuff with that, that like where it affects it. And, you know, just maybe he wants to set himself up to live in L.A. You know, I can't blame him. Pal's out here. He's got a new niece, you know, um, like he's got young kids. Like it's a nice place to live. They can go. I mean, when things are normal, especially. But, um, you know, even now his <laughs> kids can go out, go to the beach like it's, you know, California is not a bad place to be. No, not at all. That's the truth. As we're doing this show, we have some breaking football news, which is that Jalen Hurts is in at quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. So I don't really have a stake in that game, but I think it's an interesting storyline nonetheless. And now we'll get back to the Lakers. As I look at this Lakers team, the one area of concern I do have as the roster has sort of shifted its identity more toward an offensive, uh, on paper at least, offensive identity I think about rim protection, and I'm just wondering where it might come from. And if it's not going to be what it was, that's going to put an increased amount of pressure on the perimeter uh, defensively. And so obviously bringing KCP back was big. Bringing in Wes Matthews, who I agree is a better player than Danny Green, really on both sides of the floor and a better fit for this roster uh, at this stage of his career. But are the Lakers, you know, are they, should they be concerned? I know Alex Caruso can help out there. Obviously LeBron and AD too, but... Is that putting too much pressure on the perimeter defenders? And Markeith Morris coming back, do you think, where does he fit in as well as defensively? Because I thought that he was one of those guys who, after he came over, in particular in the bubble, he helped give this Lakers team an identity of being tough, where I think they really benefited from that, and especially as teams tried to sort of uh, take the uh, Pistons approach to the Bulls back in the day and beat up on the Lakers a little bit. Yeah, so this kind of, the Marquise thing kind of brings me to the other day, we were talking to Frank, and he was talking about lineups and who's going to get uh, minutes and all that stuff, and like, you know, it's always, you always have to read between the lines of what coaches are saying, like, I've learned, because all coaches praise every guy almost uniformly, whatever, like, and that's just kind of how it goes, but he was talking about center minutes, and like, you know, front court minutes and matchups and pairings and whatever, and you know, he talked about how Mark and Trez were both starting caliber players, and then he said something really interesting, where he said, uh, 
Anthony Davis and Markeith Morris is the front. And then you have Markeith and Anthony that are the front court that won us the title or something along those lines. And that to me was like, okay, that is an interesting admission into how he views the Lakers success last year is that he sees it as it was AD and Markeith in that front court that really kind of, you know, gave them the boost they needed to get over the finish line and whatever. And so that makes me think that Markeith, you know, I don't know how significant his role will be in the regular season. Again, like they're going to manage all of these veterans to some degree with rest and all that stuff. Um, but I do think that, look, like Frank obviously views him incredibly highly to admit that. Even when you're praising everyone, it hits a little different when you say that's the front court that won us the title. And that is an interesting view into how he views basketball as well as like, why the Lakers may have been comfortable letting Dwight and JaVale go this offseason because they feel like they got the guy that is the most important partner for AD when it matters. Yeah, it seems like like Frank Vogel can best come up with a scheme to get the most out of these players. And I, I with with the loss of rim protection that they did take, I think you're going to see a team really similar to like LeBron's Miami years, a team that plays passing lanes, is really fast on defense, a team that Frank Vogel is really familiar coaching against. And so I think that's what you're going to end up seeing. I think that's a fair take. And I think for Markeith, I mean, to bring Markeith back on the minimum was just a luxury that I don't think some Lakers fans were expecting. I know I was personally hopeful of it, but I'm very glad that he's back as well. I think the Lakers have kept enough of their identity from last season. Of course, anytime you're, you have LeBron and AD under lock and key long term, you're going to have that identity in place. But I think they've, they've kept enough of the complementary parts in place where they're going to have some uh, continuity uh, and a level of comfort going into training camp and starting practicing today but have brought in enough new guys where they're going to be forced to switch it up and really force you know, both themselves and opponents to have to adjust in the process. It would not surprise me as sort of we look to you know, wrap up this quick preview because before you know it, the games are going to start at least the preseason. It would not surprise me. That's that still Lakers... wild, by the way. I still yeah. like have, that is not fully like... computed for me yet. Like <laughs> literally like five days from now, I'm going to be covering a preseason game. We're going to be watching a Laker game. Like I, even though it's preseason, I just can't believe it. It just it, it has it, not even fully hit. It feels like it should be summer league in December, I guess. Right? I know, right? Like, this is so – like, my my entire body calendar, as if 2020 and staying in the house all the time was not enough. Like, now the basketball, I can't even rely to tell me what time of year it is. Like, this is – you know, it's it's destroying all of our body clocks. It really is a complete mess. So, as, as we look at this team, it would not surprise me if they got off to a slow start, in part by design, because, you know, you don't know what load LeBron and or AD – I play especially early in the year but also because they are going to have to figure out some of the kinks along the way just because of the expedited yeah. timeline and I wouldn't be surprised if that's sort of a league-wide trend right like if the Hornets jump yeah. out and you all of a sudden the Hornets are the four seed after 10 games and people are raising their eyebrows <laughs> but by you know 25 30 games in we we have a regression to the mean shall we say so you know I I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Lakers fall under that designation especially because of how much other teams are going to want to beat the Lakers in the regular season after winning the title do you feel like the Lakers are going to be prone to that or do you think they're going to make it a point to sort of come in as locked in as possible and really you know say hey look we're not complacent we're still here to play so everything in LeBron's past would make you think that they are just not going to care at all during this regular season and that's going to come from the top down. Like, look, like, you know, I know LeBron stands are going to get mad at me for acknowledging that he is not like a and to some degree, this isn't even a fault or a flaw. Like this is like him realizing what he needs to do to get his body ready for the postseason and like hitting the gears when he and doing gear shifts when he needs to do them. No one knows that better than him. So this is not a criticism, but 
like, you know, his years during Cleveland, you know, he didn't really care about the regular season. And that was pretty obvious, especially did not care about defense. That was different last year, I think, both because he had something to prove and because he had AD to hold him accountable on that end. But I just like I wonder, you know, despite all their talk of we're going to take every game seriously, I think that like to some degree that has to come from the top down. So I'm very curious to see how he and AD, you know, kind of share that load of motivating the rest of the team and like having that approach go down. And I think that LeBron, you know, I'm going to be interested to see if he can both take a step into the background while the Lakers don't lose any intensity, perhaps because of AD, you know, gunning for MVP and really pushing the whole team and, you know, setting that mentality. It's going to be an interesting thing to watch for I honestly can't predict it I know I know you asked me to predict I really don't know and I'm very curious to see JC you're a betting man if I told you the over under for the Lakers first first 15 games was 11 and a half wins would you be taking the over or the under 11 and a half I might take the under on that you take wow, the eight. under on that I mean 11, <laughs> 11 and a half out of 15 so I mean to, to I guess go 10 yeah, ten and five. I mean, that sounds about yeah, right. Yeah, that there's, sounds about right to me. And yeah, there's there's a lot of uncertainty. I think in, out in the West, um, you know, you don't know who who's really you don't know where Golden State really is going to be without the loss of Clay Thompson. Um, Houston, it remains to, to be seen what's going to go on there. Um, so yeah, I think I think the uncertainty has the Lakers at an advantage. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think they are going to start out slow. And look, we know Lakers fans keep receipts. So if we're wrong, like this is going to get clipped and like, you know, uh, like Pickup Hoop's going to tweet it out and like Lakers bloggers exposed for their hating on the team and like this team's 14 and uh, one. How much of that do you deal with as somebody who covers the Lakers in day in, day out, whether it's Lakers fans who, you know, are optim- overly optimistic about literally everything and or fans of other teams who can't quote-unquote, stand the reporting because it's such in favor of the Lakers this offseason. Do you experience that <laughs> in, in your role at all? I'm just curious. Yes, a lot. So that, that is, I mean, you mentioned my, I mean, first of all, I just want to say, like, uh, that was not a shot at Pickup Hoop. I love his receipts videos probably more than anyone. Like, I've literally sent him clips. I'm like, here, just put this in the files. Um, and so, like, you know, I love the work that he does, and he is, like, an anonymous internet hero to me. Um, I... I like, I think it's hilarious. And, like, I look, all of us, like, who give takes should be held accountable for those takes. People need to know who they can trust to be right and wrong. And, look, everybody gets some wrong, but you also have to be willing to acknowledge that. You can't, like, if you get picked up in a receipts video, be like, oh, well, you know, like, uh, Lakers fans are overreacting and da 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 Like, you know, no. Like, that's what fans do. And I, I oh, get I, it, d- so. I defended the Timothy Mozgov signing, so, you know. <laughs> look, so did I. Look, that's probably one of my takes to age the worst. Like, I think I said this contract might not be that bad. Like, and. And, you know, oops. Yeah. I mean, um, there's so but, much uncertainty, like, over at my bookie, where if you use the promo code HoopBall, you'll get your deposit, your first deposit match. Uh, there actually aren't any full season odds yet. Like, you can currently bet on who the champion will be, the conference champion, division, NBA season MVP, uh, or an end Even the odds makers are like, we have no idea. I love that. Yeah, yeah, odds makers have no idea. But um, yeah, over at mybookie.com, you can use the promo code HoopBall and they will match your first deposit. And they also do things like uh, odds boost weekends. I actually had a really profitable Thanksgiving holiday weekend due to their uh, 15 different odds boosts, one of which was uh, a the Lakers winning the championship at plus 600. So a little bit of an odds boost there. Um, but yeah, over at mybookie.com, you use mybookie.ag, you use promo code HoopBall and they will match your first deposit. 
What a great plug, JC. That's the yeah, way that to was do the it. most uh, honestly. I gotta say, I've been on a lot of podcasts. I've done ad reads. That was the most seamless ad read transition I have ever heard. Like that was, <laughs> that incredible. was like that honestly, was they should send that around to their other podcasters. Of, like this is how you work it. That was beautiful. <laughs> wow, well done, JC. You're committing to that excellence already. Okay, so JC's taking the under on eleven and a half out of the first fifteen. Harrison. Uh, yeah, I will also take the under uh, take on that. that. Like. Take the under. And look, yeah, throw it back I, I, in my face. And, you know, to answer your question just from before, like, I, I do get that sometimes. Like, I, I get it from fans of opposing teams when I troll the Celtics. I get it from Lakers fans when I'm not positive enough. Like, look, like, I get – but my job is not to make people happy. My job is to, like, uh, you know – react to things and say things as I see it. And am I, am I going to be right all the time? No. But like, I also accept when I'm wrong and like, look, like if you want to the old receipts me, like, you know, I've been subject to that too. And I get it. And you know, my mentions are a trash fire sometimes when you have like, once you pass, like for me, I think it was like, once I passed 8,000 followers, it started to get like, you know, sometimes you get annoying tweets, like other people start to find your tweets, fans of opposing teams. Once I passed 30,000, like that was when it was like, okay, you have eggs in your mentions all the time telling you, you know, like that you're an idiot. And like, how could you believe it? Like arguing with like, you could say anything. You could be like, the sky's blue today. But it's like, they're like, well, the sun's setting where I am. So once again, fake news, <laughs> like. Um, you know, yeah. I, I, like I get it. It comes with the territory, and uh, and I would say ninety percent of Lakers fans, ninety five percent are amazing, and they're like five percent that are like war criminals. Yeah, keyboard <laughs> soldiers. I would say, I've I've lost I've lost a follower or two over the uh, recent political landscape, but you know, not limiting anything. <laughs> too, me there, too. But, you know, it happens. All 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 for the best, in my opinion. Uh, as as the Lakers, I think I will also take the under just because there is going to be a lot of uncertainty. I'm not sure how much the main guys are going to play. And I think the Western Conference will be a battlefield. On that note, I feel like how we should end it is, and this is a tough question because I know there's so much uncertainty. I'm asking you guys to project a lot ahead. The Western Conference is obviously stacked. We all know that not every team can make the playoffs. What pseudo or quote-unquote contender, at least a playoff contender, is not going to find their way in. I I got to pick the Rockets. Like, I really just hate the vibes coming out of that team. And, like, everyone can say, oh, they're going to keep Harden. They're going to whatever. Like, you know, he didn't show up for the first day of training camp because he was partying in Vegas. Like, you know, uh, during a pandemic. Like, I, I just, you know, that is not... Like, like I, I, just, I really think the Rockets are going to fall out. I'm very confident that is going to be a trash fire this year. And, like, maybe I will be wrong. Uh, yeah, I, 100% I mean, agree. I, I think I think one of the funniest things to me year after year is how much faith ESPN constantly has in the Houston Rockets and how they're going to do in the upcoming season. They constantly overrate them and think they're going to do way better than they end up doing. And some of that is like, look, like the numbers from last year, are the numbers from last year. So like that can like that those numbers don't understand that James Harden is not going to care. You know what I mean? Like they they can't like they can't factor that into their numerical projections, and so I think that the expert takes will probably have them a little lower than like the numbers do. Um, but like you know, I just don't see that team like coming out on fire and like galvanizing like you know like Kobe after he demanded his trade. Like I, I think that by the trade deadline we're going to be getting serious whispers about a hardened trade, and like that whole thing is going to be a disaster. I, I'm convinced, and maybe I'll be wrong. Yeah, it does not exactly project like, a warm good, and fuzzy right now. They got get kicked out of the bubble because he, like, you know, couldn't hold out for a couple more days for, like, family, you know? Like, I, I yeah. just, you know, like, yeah. I just don't think that, like, I just don't think that they have a winning culture already. And, like, I think now that Harden wants out, that's only going to get worse. 
And I think they're asking an impossible task of of Steven Silas in his first year as head yeah, coach. Yeah, I feel so team. bad for that dude. He seems like, by all accounts, like one of the all-time like nice assistant, like qualified assistant coaches. And now this is going to be like a dark mark on his name, and that just sucks. I feel bad for him. It is going to be extraordinarily tough. Okay, I'm I'm in on that Rockets pick. I think things are going to go sideways. Last question before we get out of here: Do the Pelicans make the playoffs? No, I'm. I do not think so. Yeah, I don't think so. Either. No. The, way, right. the West so is they, just too stacked. Like looking at the teams and seeing where they could be. Like I could see how New Orleans could improve, but I just I don't I don't see it yet. I just so want sorry, them to miss it, be, to be like honest. This. Like I mean I yeah. I think they will, but I just want them to just like to see you know Pelicans fans have to justify that again and how they still won the Anthony Davis trade. So sorry for the baby Lakers, but it looks like you might be on the outside looking in, uh, especially if you're going to start both Bledsoe and Lonzo with Steven Adams now down low as well. I wonder about the spacing on that team. That was a concern on the with the baby Lakers with the Lakers. Continues to be a concern for the Pelicans. You know what fake hey. trade I really want to see that just came to mind, like, for me? Like, and, you know, they'd have to make it work cap-wise so there would be other guys in this deal or whatever. Like, I, I want to see coups for Lonzo. Like, I want to see the Pelicans be like, all right, we want, like, the other guy that you held out of the trade. And the Lakers are like, all right, we actually want Lonzo back to help with our, you know, like, defensive identity and, like, ball handling, creativity, whatever. Like, I, I would love I, – I, and, you know, Lonzo's a clutch guy now. You know, I, I don't want to start too much speculation or whatever. But, you know, that is a guy that I have my eye on as a potential future former future former laker whatever you know however that would work out and yeah i actually thought yeah. him and him and lebron played pretty well together in their limited yeah time. i love their pairing I'm, I'm disappointed that we didn't get to see like you know the lonzo uh like renaissance fully take place in la well you never know what the future holds and that's the best part of podcasting right we can ruminate and sometimes when we ruminate we project forward and we manifest things harrison you were so gracious to give us so much of your time today we appreciate you. As a reminder, you can follow Harrison on Twitter at H.M. Fagan, F-A-I-G-E-N. He is the Lakers beat writer, the editor-in-chief, the God Almighty himself for Lakers <laughs> FB Nation, Silver Screen and Roll. Hey, man, I'm just out here in the business of giving people nicknames, you know, in, in the appropriate context. So in terms of having you on, we really appreciate your time, man. It was a lot of fun, and we hope to do it again in the near future. Yeah, look, I appreciate the nicknames and all the love. Uh, just, I'm just trying to not have lightning strike me at the end of a podcast, you know. Although that would be like great for your guys, like listenership. You'd be like, listen to Harrison Fagan's last moments as he struck down for blasphemy. <laughs> wow, I feel I feel like we do you a little bit better than that, but it probably would be our our most listened to episode of all time. That would be, I mean, that would, I mean, honestly, look, like that would be hilarious. Like, like if I, that's a like, look, he died as he lived podcasting. <laughs> hey man you know it's a, i mean that's that's if you're gonna go 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 doing something that you enjoy right <laughs> that's that's the way to do it all right guys on the hoop all lakers show you can find us anywhere where you get your streaming pods at of course follow us on twitter at hoop ball lakers for all the latest news updates insights retweets episodes and all of that good stuff you can follow jc on twitter at jc daily on one you can follow me on twitter at ethan underscore noroff and until next time we out. Cool. Harrison, appreciate Thanks. it, man. Thanks, guys. That Thanks. was a lot of fun. Yeah, man. Thanks nice for giving you. us so much of your time. Really nice to uh, connect and uh, and do that. Look forward to doing it again, man. Yeah, for sure. Anytime, guys. All right, brother. Have a good rest of your day. Thanks again. All right. You too. All right. Take care. All right. Bye. JC, good stuff, man. Excellent read. Loved it. Sweet. Thanks. 
All right, I'll uh, send over a show description. We'll do the usual thing. All right, cool. All right, better. See ya. Later. This has been a Hoop Ball presentation. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.